Trinidad and Tobago, rated as one of the happiest places on earth, a paradise known for steel pan, calypso and carnival. But there's more to this twin island nation. It's Trini Isis fighters. In this series, we explore various aspects of the radicalization issue to gain different perspectives and insights on the experience of one small country. To counter violent extremism means understanding how it became rooted. Terror in the Caribbean. Phantom or fact? Our episode begins. Islam, said to be the world's fastest growing religion. But what about a religion with perhaps the most variables depending on ideological translations of the Quran? There are two main branches of Islam, Sunni and Shia, and each has its main branches. But over the last two centuries, those have been further broken down. Several other Islamic schools of thought have sprung up. Local Imams and the Islamic community struggle to keep their faith relevant with the youth population in Trinidad and Tobago. One of the main struggles has been to clearly identify the factors that have allowed radicalization to grab hold of so many. Trinidad and Tobago has claimed another accolade, but a defaming one, the number one recruitment territory for ISIS in the Western Hemisphere. With a population of 1.3 million, it is averaged that approximately 250 individuals left the sandy shores to join ISIS. The Islamic Roundtable is a group of Muslim leaders who have come together to deal with not only this issue, but the challenges they face as an Islamic community that seeks to avoid disrepute of their true religion due to the wrongdoing of a rogue faction. Hafiz Khan, chair of the Islamic Round Table, explains. Let me just start by giving a, an idea of the construct of the Round Table. The Muslim Round Table is really an umbrella group of different Muslim organizations, both uh, the rank and file major organizations, um, together with NGOs and other Jamaat, independent Jamaat, who make up the bulk of the uh, Muslim community. We have about 25 individual organizations who comprise the Muslim Roundtable. Uh, Muslim Roundtable was really came together kind of accidentally. Um, it was responding to the to have discussions when the individual Muslims left Trinidad to join ISIS. So, from our standpoint, really, the ISIS issue, or tragedy as the case may be, did have some positive benefits for our community, whereas we came together, um, the leaders of the different organizations, and had an opportunity to start dialogue, something that was not virtually unheard of before. Their membership to become ultra-conservative which borders on radicalization 
Now, we would know that radicalization in itself is not a problem, it's not illegal. You could be a radical in any area. It is only when you take that radicalism and add to it the question of violence that then it becomes an issue. But having said that, we ought to be careful uh, in terms of radicalizing our own minds or the minds of our membership to the extent that you will put them into a situation that they could easily cross that border. Throughout the world, there is an acknowledgement of the sophistication and the, the fine-tuned marketing that was effected by ISIS and, the, and whoever was doing it for them. It was an amazing job that they did to target, and they were very pinpointed in their targeting, and they had effect throughout the world. Based on studies that were done, a lot of them were really psychologically impaired to some extent. And it was young people who had issues in their lives that were attracted to the and drawn to going across there. Having said that, I think we need to, within our own community, in fact, across Trinidad and Tobago, actually, because we see what is happening with our youth now. So it is difficult to isolate the Muslim youth from the overall, because they are all in the same environment. And we are seeing a lot more problems in our own society, in our neighborhoods, in our local communities. We've seen all the, the same issues, and this is having a bigger impact on our country than those 200 guys who would have left. We have agreed upon that we need to be, build a lot more awareness within our communities. And before I go there, I just want to go back to the point of those who left. I think when we look at it, there were specific areas that these guys left from, and therefore the, the problem could be really isolated in certain areas. And therefore, a lot of the ideological aspect of it, in our case, I think ideology had to play a bigger part than the other push factors. Of course, there was never only one push factor. There were a series of them in every case. I think there are some cases where ideology made a big difference in those who left from Trinidad. There were also a number of the other push factors that came into play that probably weighed in a lot more than ideology. It was an escape route uh, for some. So when we look at that from that standpoint, we realize that to deal with the problem moving forward is not all that difficult. What we do see is that there are some who are utilize, using the name of Islam and Muslim to be involved in criminal activity. Uh, that is very unfortunate. and I think it's something that we need to address. We have been discussing those issues. So while we are working with any Muslim community, we have to work also with others. But there has to be a willingness on the other side too to work, to, to get rid of this issue. Um, we are in a peculiar position where we have a lot of foreign investment in Trinidad. And of course, there is the, that vulnerability for any kind of radical thinking. And I think it's something that 
we in the Muslim community are very conscious of and understand the need for national security to be on top of these issues. And we are always willing to work with the security agencies in whatever sphere that we could to assist and to ensure that the national security needs of this country are met because we are full citizens of this country. There are a number of European countries who decided that they wouldn't uh, allow persons to come back. My personal view is that I see nothing wrong with that situation. If you left here knowing what you were going to do and ended up there in a situation, then deal with the issue. I really am not sympathetic to those who went. Let them stay there. They went for a particular reason. Well, deal with it. As a Muslim, I am against violence to start with. And uh, as a Muslim who understands the narrative that has been used or was being used by ISIS, they're all false. This whole question of an Islamic state, that has nothing to do with Islam. We don't need an Islamic state. What it speaks about is the land of Islam, meaning that once you are able to practice Islam, wherever you are located, it is a legitimate land to be in. If you are not able to practice a religion, you have the ability to leave. In Islam, that is what the Prophet did. He left Mecca when they, he was not able to practice his Islam properly and was being threatened to be killed. He left and he went to Medina. That is the option we have. We could leave and emigrate any part of the world, anywhere, if we are not able to practice Islam where we are. It is not to fight, to kill, to try and establish a state. There is no way in Islam. The question of caliphate, that is a non-issue as far as Islam is concerned. But those are narratives that are being used to fool some of the people for some leader to prove himself to be a leader. But that is a non-issue as far as Islam goes. We were never told to, to ensure and maintain a caliphate. The perspectives of Islamic leaders in Trinidad and Tobago gives great insight into what the root of the radicalization issue is. Asja, Anjuman Sunat Ul Jamaat Association, is the largest Muslim organization in Trinidad and Tobago. Two of their senior members, Imam Imtiaz Ali and Imam Rafiq, shared their views. No, I don't believe it have anything like Islamophobia. I, I don't hold that concept at no point in time. Because Islam is a way of life. Islam is a practical living. Meaning that you are a human being, I am a human being. You as a human being, I have to give you that respect. Similarly, you have to give me that respect as a human being. When it comes to my relationship and my God, what I accept as my way of life, because that is why, that is the challenge, the human being accept from God to represent him here. And what is God? God is about sincerity. God is about honesty. God is about to be kind, to be just, and these attributes. So if we as human beings been doing like that, we don't have this kind of attitude taking place in society. 
the difference you see how human being killing human being and all this thing were taking place. In Trinidad and Tobago, we as Muslims, we are allowed to practice our religion. We are allowed to we are allowed to fast. Everyone knows we fast in Ramadan. Everyone knows in Trinidad and Tobago that we only eat halal chicken. Right? In fact, many of the fast food restaurants, most of them serve halal chicken in Trinidad and Tobago. Right? I will tell you the Astia. There is an association of the nominational boards with the Astra and the Christians and the Hindus. We all participate and we deal with mutual problems, right? So we live good in Trinidad and Tobago. Maybe in other parts of the world where people don't have that kind of love and understanding, you do not understand. I am, as I mentioned to you, I'm also the Muslim prison chaplain. But it doesn't mean I will not speak to the Hindus or the Christians. We are all human beings. We talk to everybody with love and kindness. If we take something from the prison, into the prison, um, toiletries or something like that, it doesn't mean that we give Muslims alone. We give the less fortunate. Some say that poor economic conditions are a push factor for the flourishing of extremism. Imam Imtiaz Ali of Asja made this a point. Many of young African people are returning to Islam. That's why we call them reverts and not converts because they know their tradition has been Islam. So many of them are returning to Islam. And, and, and yes, but the so-called radicalization has more to do with poverty and economics rather than religion, right? And unfortunately, um, it has to do with family life too. Right? Um, we have children and grandchildren. We have to spend a lot of time with them. Right? We spend a lot of time. When you get your grandchildren, you still have to spend a lot. I still can't imagine young people having children and they don't have the support of their full family. So you know one of the things I tell the guys in the prison, when you come out, marry the children mother. Because you don't want your children to be growing up with, you know, you want your children to grow up in a stronger family situation that you grew up in. And that's the challenge we have in Trinidad and Tobago. So the poverty together with the family situation, the weak family situation, as I say weak, right, family situation, creates all sorts of distress and it does create some sort of radicalization. I didn't say that we should bring them back. Yes, they are Trinidadians and we have if they are to come back, we have to deal with them very carefully, right? Because um, some of the names you're hearing is, are names we never heard about, right? They are names we never heard about. Like um, I saw a documentary that you're hearing about certain people, the Muslim leaders in Trinidad. We don't know some of these people. Most of them who in that situation um, are not connected to the Astra. They are not connected to the Astra. They have formed their own communities. Of course, when someone comes to ask for assistance, we don't ask, um, what are you? We help people, right? We help people. And um, some of them do come for help, and we do help people, right? They go to many of the various masjids, shorter and that, and Tobago, and they get help, right? With respect to the people who have gone there, as I said, some of those people we don't know at all, you know. We don't know at all. We may know that some of them may have been involved in crime in Trinidad and Tobago, and it, it appears that some of them to escape punishment, they flee there. 
So we don't know all the facts. And we need to get the facts, right? We need to get the facts. If they choose to go, right, we have to be very careful when they come back, right? Um, we don't even know how they travel. In fact, I went to Turkey this year, and you know the scrutinize that train that passport more than anybody else. Because I understand that so many people travel through Turkey to go to Syria. Trinidadians are scrutinized. Imagine that. Because of the actions of a few people, Trinidadians are scrutinized more when they go to Turkey. We here in Trinidad, we is not in an Islamic state. We are free to practice our way of life. And I what you have, to, you have the rules, the regulation, or the guidance that uh, give you that privilege or you practice, right? Um, the Quran do not condone because it is said that if you kill one human being, it's like you kill all the whole human being. So that is the answer to that question. Scholars like Dr. Simon Cotty say otherwise. The thing to bear in mind about Trinidad is that recruitment was clustered geographically and it took place in three main areas. I've already mentioned these before. So we have Rio Claro, Diego Martin, and Chiguanas. I mean, it's true that, that people went from, from other areas, um, but those were the three main ones. And it was also MOS-related. So it's hard to know if it was top-down. So terrorism scholars have, have this distinguished between top-down recruitment and bottom-up recruitment. So in Trinidad, it's hard to know if it was top-down recruitment, that is, that recruitment was driven by imams and their backers or sponsors, or whether it was bottom-up, that is, that it was driven by self-starters who were already radical and who sought out others with similarly radical beliefs. But it was definitely, in Trinidad, recruitment was definitely a network thing. So everyone in the pro-ISIS network knew each other, either because they were friends or because they were related. This also casts some doubt on this notion of online radicalization, the idea that people are being radicalized by their exposure to online propaganda and, and so on. So I think the the geographic clustering casts some suspicion on, on this notion because if it was the internet that was radicalizing people, you wouldn't see uh, the geographical clustering that we see. It would be far more dispersed across the country, which is to say the radicalization in Trinidad, ISIS radicalization in Trinidad, happened in real time, in real places, among families and, and friends. What is noticeable is that in the case of data from Trinidad and Tobago, the number of converts to ISIS ideology did face economic hardship and were looking for another life that in their minds would have placed them on some sort of pedestal. A delusion of self-actualization was the motive. What remains a mystery is how these radical elements find their way into the social fabric. It is a psychological war and looming threat. What about the breeding ground for the infiltration of radical elements? How is this being monitored and mitigated? With the issues of returnees now at the doorsteps of Trinidad and Tobago, 
the question of if that door will open and how wide remains. This series is a project of the Caribbean Investigative Journalism Network, producing groundbreaking investigative stories. Visit our website at www.cijn.org.